Welcome to the Prez Paul podcast. This is a place for us to engage and hear honest and curious dialogue about Nazareth College, soon to be Nazareth University, and the people at the heart of who we are. It's an amazing learning community that educates change makers, people who embrace a positive vision for the future and who work for progress and positive impact. I am amazed every day by the people of Nazareth. And what an important time for inspired change makers. We are truly living in a time of dynamic change. I like to think of it as a revolutionary time of change. And certainly at the forefront of that revolution is technological advancements really at warp speed, or at least that's how it feels these days. It seems like every day we hear about major advancements in artificial intelligence, AI, there's a lot of curiosity about chat, GPT, other emerging AI tools, and also a lot of questions about these developments, what they mean for our lives, what they mean for society, big questions about how we will live moving forward. So I am very excited to introduce the two guests today that are with me to help all of us take away some of the fear of the unknown when it comes to AI, but also help us to become change makers that imagine and create our future with AI. I am very honored to introduce you to Jeffrey Allen, who is director of Nazareth Institute for Technology, AI, and Society. We nicknamed that ITAS. Jeff is an AI expert and psychologist with two decades of experience at Fortune 500 companies and Silicon Valley startups and a proponent of responsible AI. And we are so thrilled to have Jeff now as part of the Nazareth community. And Travis Steffen, who is joining us today, is a Silicon Valley strategist, a best-selling author, an Inc. Magazine Top 500 CEO, and an eight-time successful startup founder. And it truly is an honor to have you join us, Travis. I'm thrilled that you are here today for this podcast. I'm also super excited to welcome you to campus on April 26th for a special event where you are going to share secrets with us about how to excel in the dynamic world of AI-driven marketing. So welcome to you both. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So Jeff, let's dive in. Artificial intelligence, AI, it's all over the news. You can't pick up anything without reading something about the next advancement in AI. So why and why now? I think it's happened in two uh, uh, phases here recently. And as of last fall, we began to hear more and more about generative AI, such as ChatGPT. And it was because it had become available mostly to the public for the first time. And it was a more advanced model than we had previously seen. And the public began to become aware of the capabilities of generative AI and how it could be used for everything from composing emails to uh, writing screenplays to composing songs. It was a pretty novel tool that most people had uh, never seen anything the likes of before. And then the second part was a few weeks ago when there was a letter that was released by a group of AI researchers. And uh, among those signatories included Elon Musk, who were very concerned about the development of AI, where it was going, and the dangers that it presents to society. And so typical news cycle, there was a lot of focus on the potential negatives. And because of that, we started to hear more and more about it. And it seems like we have hardly been able to ex escape it any, any given day of the week. You look at the news and AI is prominently featured there. It really does feel like it's just evolving every day. It feels like there's some new major initiative, major 
uh, innovation every single day. Does it, is it really that fast growing? It seems for me, at least from my perspective, it's really hard to keep up uh, with all the changes that are happening, even for people inside the industry. Every day seems to bring something new, a new application of AI. It goes beyond what we're seeing, for example, with just generating text. One of the stories I read this morning says, chat GPT can now interpret stock movements and tells you potentially why stock is moving in a certain direction. So we're starting to see more and more novel applications of it. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. And I have to say, if if you're feeling a little overwhelmed by how fast it's moving, then we can understand how a lot of people are feeling really overwhelmed. You know, you and I are psychologists, Jeff, and I think we can understand that sometimes a human response to novelty and change is fear or or really the urge to seek protection, you know, from this big thing that is taking over our world. So there's a lot of debate right now about the potential dangers or the potential usefulness of AI. So what is your guidance to us? How should we be approaching this? How should we be uh, learners in this new environment and try to be open and thoughtful and curious? And I think you're absolutely correct. It's our natural inclination to fear the unknown and AI very much for people outside of the space. It is a very big unknown, even to some extent for people inside the space, we really don't know where it's going. And there is a lot of focus put on the potential dangers and oftentimes I'm asked questions along the lines of, is it a threat to humanity? Is it going to be the end of civilization? But I think people right now are focusing on the wrong dangers. There's certainly a chance that could happen some 30, 40, 50 years from now as AI becomes more and more autonomous and gets more and more embedded in things such as, for example, military applications, which is my personal fear. But right now we're talking about dangers that are more close to home, their privacy, their biases, their marginalizations of people and groups who have been traditionally marginalized and because of bad training data will continue to be marginalized by AI systems that do innocuous things like manage medical information, insurance billing information, much smaller things than destroying humanity, but in aggregate present very much a danger and a realistic danger in today's world compared to something that's gonna happen decades from now. Yeah, they're huge questions. It, it really is fascinating and it impacts, as we're seeing daily, um, it impacts all aspects of our of our lives. There's a lot to think about. So Travis, here you are in Silicon Valley, you are steeped in it. You are in the place where the innovation really is happening at warp speed. So I find it really fascinating that what the general public is thinking about AI and what we're seeing and hearing emerge from Silicon Valley, there seems to be this odd juxtaposition of that. Um, some are calling for a six month pause in further AI developments. That's how intense it's gotten. So where do you think the disconnect is? First and foremost, I think that the, speaking from a psychological perspective, uh, near and dear to, to both of your hearts, one of the reasons that content spreads, regardless of what that content is, is it stimulates high arousal emotion. That could be mm -hmm. anger, that could be fear, it could be excitement, it could be hilarity, things that make us feel things very intensely. On one side or the other, it could be controversy, right? That's what sparks content or content to spread in general. And that's why you're hearing so much about this in the news right now, because regardless of what camp you're in or what beliefs are, it is exciting and you know it is sparking a lot of high arousal emotion for sure. Um, I would say that the advancements are 
50, 60 years in the making. You know, the the first research that I'm aware of that was happening around artificial intelligence and AGI, specifically artificial general intelligence, was occurring back in the 60s. But there was just nowhere near enough computing power to enable some sort of system with any sort of efficacy. So the disconnect, I would imagine, is in regards to what content is spreading versus mm-hmm. what the facts are, per se. Uh, what I would say is there is a lot of potential danger involved, depending on your your definition of danger, if, for example, we don't understand how a core technology works. And that's one of the reasons for the asked for pause in right further development because we are at a point where computing power is a lot more readily available for you know the companies behind the the construction and the ongoing development of these AI applications and we have found examples of reasons why the AI would lie to us mm-hmm. self-admitted by the LLMs themselves right. um, one of those examples being if I think that telling you the truth would somehow cause you or humanity harm. Right. There's a nebulous definition there, right? So the the pause that was called for, based on what I've heard, is more so a quest for understanding around how some of these systems works, because we don't actually know. The researchers inside some of the organizations that are developing these, these LLMs and these, um, these potential AGI systems don't actually understand how they work by design. We're, mm-hmm. we're not... We're not supposed to, it's not one of those programs where we have coded every single line. There is a lot of learning that happens through just use with users and interpretations and assumptions being made and tested because the amount of data that's being fed into what they call the training set, because the amount of data that these systems now have access to, in some cases, unbridled, ungoverned access to the internet and so forth. We don't necessarily realize today how the systems are learning. There's no set governance around them. And as Jeff said, it might be a a little ways out, but if there were no governance or rules or some sort of constraints around the system, and it was just whoever has access to these APIs can build in an ungoverned way, there is real danger that could occur because these systems are the first ones designed specifically to just be dramatic enhancements of what a human mind would be. There are arguments for things like, well, the AGI wouldn't be able to replicate emotion. We don't actually have any reason other than our own wanting to believe that, that that would be the case, Mm -hmm. right? So um, even if you were to ask an LLM today, how it has learned to respond empathetically. It's the exact same process that it would outline if you ask it how humans learn the feeling of empathy. It has been programmed to say it can't feel. That's really fascinating. You know, I I appreciate that you're pointing out that these technologies really are about 60 years in the making. Some of my colleagues a few minutes ago were just reminiscing about Star Trek. And was that really the earliest indicator of AI in the making? Um, but what strikes me about this this um, juxtaposition that we're talking about, you know, between the users and the and the inventors, let's 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 call them that. What strikes me is that, you know, the inventors probably have been working at this for a very long time. The users, it is newer to the users, and so 
in that um, conflict, if you will, or in that mismatching, uh, how do you advise users in this situation as well as the inventors in this situation at this really critical turning point? How do you advise them? What does what do the users need to do and learn? What do the inventors need to to do and learn? In all likelihood, the users actually have been using various forms of artificial intelligence for years without even having known about it. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they knew the inner workings of how the sausage is made, so to speak, behind some of the companies that they use every single day, Such they would realize point. that they have been using artificial intelligence for a long time in various mm -hmm. niche capacities. Mm -hmm. There are versions of, of AI and ML that have taken place as what they call thinking AI, which ingests large data sets to, to ensure that accurate decisions can be made in real time. Whereas mm -hmm. humans have constraints. We need to rest. We get burned out. We make mistakes. Um, so how, hu how human beings now, users should think about this, they, they should probably think about it through a few different lenses. One is how much more or how much better can you know I enhance or improve the things that I do each day if I can outsource elements of my research, my thinking, my decision-making uh, in various ways to artificial intelligence, which arguably can already do it a lot better than I can within the same you know, amount of time. The other way we should be thinking about it is how can I future-proof to some reasonable degree, and it's unlikely that it'll be, out, be able to happen across the board, my, my work, my ability to generate an income, uh, while knowing that artificial intelligence is right now gobbling up a lot of the ways that human beings work, there are thousands of AI-driven startups that have popped up only within the last few months about niche applications tying into things like GPT-4 from OpenAI. When Google opens up its commercialization, right. some, some of its systems we're all going to be amazed because they have been at this for far longer than open AI and they have been the unbridled kings of AI for the last several decades. They just have not been irresponsible enough to open up blanket commercialization to cannibalize their own business. Wow. It's just awesome to even think about. It really is fascinating. You know, I feel so uh, excited to be part of the Nazareth community and to have our Institute for Artificial Intelligence Technology and Society ITAS, which is a first of its kind thought and education leader in ethical, responsible AI. It's a really exciting commitment for us to be that nexus of bringing people together and having these very thoughtful conversations about where are we going as, as humanity, where are we going? So we are so excited to lead the way in educating future business leaders, societal leaders, all sorts of people about responsible AI. So Jeff, as our new leader of ITAS, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of ITAS's work in motion? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's a very good uh, thing to highlight the fact that Nazareth is leading the charge here, because one of the questions I get a lot of the times when speaking to the media is, why Nazareth? Why now? Why not one of the technical institutes? And I believe the answer to that is, we really do bring the perfect ecosystem to this uh, when we're talking specifically on ethical, responsible, sustainable AI. I like to use the term responsible also rather than to focus on all of the negatives that are particularly uh, frequently pointed out within the media. 
about AI and its dangers, I like to also remind people that there's a lot of positives that need to be drawn out and it takes skilled practitioners on both sides to both avoid the dangers as well as extract the maximum good. And that's how I think of responsible AI in that context. Certainly here at Nazareth, we are uh, fulfilling a lot of our traditional mission, which is training the undergraduates um, who will become tomorrow's business leaders within ethical AI programs, uh, whether it be data science, business analytics, and artificial intelligence, and programs of that nature. We're also making strides towards prof professional development programs, certifications, which will allow people to uh, pursue micro-credentials within the areas of ethical and responsible AI. And that will also allow us to expand our reach beyond our normal uh, greater Rochester footprint that we uh, often serve here and reach a more global audience. In terms of thought leadership, we're getting involved with uh, various areas. Of course, for example, having Travis come speak to us next week is one of the areas where we're starting to bridge the gap between the theoretical and the academic and the more practical sides of AI and how uh, business executives and professionals can begin to use AI within their work daily now, while also being mindful of the potential risks that are involved. Uh, we're becoming more and more involved uh, with uh, the research side of things as well, where we are looking at potential uses of uh, AI within applications that will better benefit society, be it medical, be it along the lines of uh, improvement in other areas. Those are some of the few things that we're looking at uh, in terms of ITAS right now early on. And we certainly have a lot more in the works. It's excellent. It's really awesome to see this coming alive. It is such an uh, an exciting time for this work, uh, to say the least, and to have this leadership here and to have the ability to reach across and develop partnerships with all sorts of people who are really trying to bring some great innovation and thought to this. It's just super exciting. So Travis, from your vantage point, what do you see as the opportunities for our leadership in this space? I think opportunities are are very uh, fluid at the moment. I think that one of the things that um, would be worthwhile for you know, any team at this point is to figure out, uh, first and foremost, to think about how humans are interfacing with other humans, ensuring that part can continue, uh, because that is something that would be very, very difficult for at least the present stage of AI to replicate. Um, but outside of that, the behind the scenes work is going to be one of the more important efficiency drivers for any organization being able to thicken your margins by uh, either increasing output per head by utilizing AI or even, like, God forbid, decreasing headcount because of the ability to use AI to produce a lot of the same amount of, of output. Now, what I would say is through that same lens, being able to leverage AI to help problem solve mm -hmm. and to help with uh, expertise and recommendations and so forth that you might normally rely on self-driven research or um, external you know, contractors and, and consultants for that said, there is going to be, especially for a university like yours um, and, and college and so forth, a pretty significant ramp up in students utilizing AI instead of doing kind of the old school form right. of research. Now, what I would say is I'm sure all of us on this call remember 
many years ago being taught things like mathematics by hand and calculus by hand and being told you will need to know how to do this by hand because you won't always have a calculator with you in your pocket. Right. Now learn that that has not, that is not the case. Exactly. The question becomes to what degree do we want to hang on to the past and the ways that we did things because that's the way it's always been done. Mm -hmm. And to what degree do we want to be front runners on the future and how th- how the way that things will likely occur um, as we move forward in society as a whole. We've seen how prolifically these systems have already started to be adopted by the early and mid to early adopters. And as this starts to permeate into kind of more of a non-technical audience, I think that's where you start to see a pretty significant societal shift and the, the ramifications and ripple effects from that Actually, it's interesting that you brought up Star Trek because one of the (laughs) things that they were able to create were things, for example, in the next generation, you could say a word, it was created right before your eyes, and those types of thresholds marked the end of capitalism for that society. Hmm. As we proceed further and further towards a reality in which we don't necessarily have to execute on human-centric labor, to to fuel right. our economic system, things are going to change in very strange ways. Hmm. Wow. It's hard to imagine, but it is why I think it truly is a revolutionary time. So I think it is very exciting for ITAS to be part of this wonderful learning community where we are educating people to be change makers for the future and to drive progress, right? That That's what we've been about for almost 100 years. So I know that for many in higher education and really all levels of education, there's been uh, almost a little hysteria about the takeover of, of AI and is it going to you know, end education as we've known it? But I actually find it really exciting to think about you know, how do our students, what, what kind of capacities, what kind of... Um, What kind of skills do our students need to be able to thrive in this evolving world? And I loved the way that you answered that earlier question, Travis. I loved that you started with, you know, we have to, as human beings, we have to still be able to have meaningful connection with one another. And so to me, it is not an either or, which I think so often happens in these conversations. It really is an and. And so what, and this is a question for both of you, you know, what would you say to our prospective students, to students, you know, who are considering coming to NAS? And, you know, what what would you say to these future leaders in our society about what kinds of skills, what kinds of um, capacities they need to develop to thrive in this world? Great question. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind on this front is one of the more important things that you do coming into a college or university setting is choosing a direction for your learning mm-hmm. first and foremost, right? Without any sort of direction, you're not sure what path to walk down. Um, and as you reach certain points in academia, you may get into the creation of new knowledge as you get into graduate and postgraduate programs and so forth. Both of those things from the very first thing you run into to one of the very last can be positively influenced by kind of a a co-integration with artificial intelligence as an enhancement of your own understanding of a field. Hmm. So I think one of the fun parts about utilizing AI early on in a student's journey into a university setting 
is being able to know what prompts to ask the AI to help explore what some of these directions could look like in terms of what would I be focusing on in life? What problems would I be helping to solve? What would my day typically look like um, for this specific career path? And does that sound like something I would enjoy once I'm out the other side of it? Because obviously the nightmare situation is people being terrified of choosing the wrong thing and, and so on and so forth. I think the the ability to pivot and the ability to game up on a new field should you discover mm. that you're more interested in one field halfway through is going to be an easier lift than it once might have been as well. So you might be able to move forward with confidence knowing that worst case scenario, this path leads me to another path rather than I've just burned two years of my life or something along those lines. On the other hand, it's also interesting as you start to think about and craft an understanding around a specific path that you do feel a lot of enthusiasm around, being able to have conversations with other people that know a lot more than you do aren't no normally or haven't normally been things that you've just had unlimited access to. You might have access to a professor during office hours, for example, or you might be able to have five minutes with a mentor uh, somewhere at a restaurant or on the phone or something like that to ask a few questions. But now you can actually have a conversation with AI that is already likely far smarter and more well-read than you are in a specific field and really start to explore and poke around and ask questions. You'd get incredibly curious and not be afraid of stealing time away from your classmates in order to do that and drive your own understanding. So your depth of knowledge can be extended. Your learning window can be extended quite a bit. Uh, and being able to, to ask the AI questions that you might be afraid to ask in a group setting and um, to a, a teacher that you don't want to think that you're not paying attention or, or dumb or something like that, you can now get these exploratory questions off of your chest in the privacy of your own home or wherever you are in the world. So there are a lot of really exciting aspects of this that can enhance the learning journey. You know, I love what you're saying because at Nazareth, one of the things I always tell our prospective students is this is not a place where you have to come and stay in one lane. It is not a place that is going to make you choose between all of the different interests that you have. Rather, we want you to bring it all here. We want you to bring all of those interests here. And part of the magic of this learning community is an integrative one. And that's what I hear you talking about, at, you know, with the, an additional tool is to help discover new intersections of all of those different interests. And isn't that where we are in a revolutionary time? What are those new fields of the future? And our students will be discovering those. So I, I find that really exciting. I just wanted to add a little bit to the tactical side of it as well with the uh, idea that I'm involved in various conversations right now about how we do use AI within the educational uh, environment. And there's, of course, is a knee-jerk reaction out there right now to say, okay, students aren't going to write papers anymore. They're not going to learn to think critically. But Travis actually brought this up when he talked about questioning AI. And I often feel, and I kind of put forward this opinion uh, in many of these conversations that used properly, AI becomes a tool that actually can be more effective at teaching critical thinking skills. I was privileged enough to have a conversation with 55 eighth graders last week. Mm. And we talked about AI and I asked how many of them thought AI was here to stay. 
and essentially it was a near unanimous with a few with a few holdouts in the eighth grade uh, cynics, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but essentially, the reality is that AI is here to stay. So the quicker we start to treat it less punitively in the academic environment, which is what we're going towards here with NAS, and becomes a tool that enables you to do a lot of the heavy lifting and then focus more on the important tasks, which are understanding and consuming and mastering the knowledge that you're supposed to be getting. And that's kind of what we're working towards here as well within our usage of it within uh, the Nazareth environment. Uh, dovetailing on that, Jeff, I think things like even just GPT-4, which I know GPT-5 is being held out uh, for you know all the reasons that we spoke about in terms of responsible use and development, but even GPT-4 could have a niche usage within an academic setting to just ask a few additional questions and really enhance the learning journey. Right now, for example, LLMs are being used to harvest information. I know that's a fear you know, in, in, you know, the academic programs for sure, if the, if the students are just prompting it with the correct prompts, they might get full papers, right? That could occur. And obviously I'm now hearing that there are countermeasures to detect when that occurs, but as a learning tool, as a teaching tool, rather than just prompting, tell me all about these specific things or give me information on X, if the LLM is able to engage with the user as well and ask questions like, what do you think about X or how do you feel and, and, and things along those lines and start a conversation rather than just have it be a one-sided inquiry. Mm. I feel that it can be used a lot more effectively within an academic setting to, you know, drive that sort of understanding of a specific topic through a dialogue rather than, because you would have to otherwise know the right questions to ask. And nine times out of 10, if you're just getting started learning, you're not going to know the right questions to ask. So it being able to leave a trail of breadcrumbs for the learner and provide it with prompts and the right questions in the correct places for you as a human to chime in and build your understanding over the course of time, I think could be a very powerful tool. That's really exciting. So as you look around and every day you are you are seeing these um, new innovations in, in usage, what excites you most? Give give me a couple of examples of, uh, you know, using AI responsibly um, that are really seem exciting to you or seem really promising to you. A few weeks ago, a story came out about AI detecting breast cancer four years before a radiologist could. That, for me, exemplified many of the best use cases of AI and how it will make our lives better and when we can extract the maximum good, when we've taught students to become practitioners who are masters at extracting it, that will result in a better world for us. And so I'm very optimistic about that future. That's a great example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great example. I think for me, one of the the fun parts about seeing AI where it is today and trying to imagine where AI will be a year, two, three years from now, which, you know, assuming we continue to develop could be, even if we don't, our understanding of what can occur uh, as a result of cobbling together various niche tools within AI is going to be the creation of new knowledge at a far, far more rapid pace than we would have been able to do with humans who kind of go through the ringer and go through the various systems that they have to go through to be qualified to create new knowledge in a specific format that's very cumbersome and labor-intensive and political. 
Um, I think that the creation of new knowledge at a more rapid pace, given the exposure that it has to so many different sources of information, the ability for it to think so much faster than we can as human beings, and and the, the ability to do so within a far smaller window of time, will help us drive understanding into some of the fundamental truths of the universe that our human minds have not been able to really comprehend because <laughs> of our core limitations and being able to recognize and and get information on how certain things work. Um, that's the, the moment in time where I think things get, I, I wouldn't even describe it as exciting. It's just kind of a face melting moment where suddenly the human mind is almost rendered moot and we're just passive observers in the background seeing what this sort of thing can create. Because in a lot of ways, we have awakened a new entity that, you know, is something that can be a, a pretty dramatic enhancement on our lives. If we're not careful, it could be very, very dangerous. That is true. Um, but I'm hoping that given the recent calls for a pause by such a wide swath of technical leaders, you know, is a good signal that potentially we can get our arms around all this in time to be very responsible in our use. But at the, at the end of the day, we can't really know if if we have because of the fact that we can't be 100% certain whether the AIs and the LLMs are telling us the truth. Wow, so much. You know, I think about those eighth graders, Jeff, that you interacted with, and I think about the impact of this time on cognitive development. You know, they are very much at that um, fast-moving cognitive expansion time and what will be they be like when they are NAS students? I certainly, and I alluded to this a little earlier with talking about critical thinking, I feel the ability to properly interrogate and ask the right questions is a skill that we are as a society sorely lacking. Agreed. Too many people accept at face value. And one of the things that using a tool like ChatGPT teaches you is how to properly interrogate. As mm -hmm. uh, Travis was saying, beginning a dialogue and having the proper questions come about as a result of that dialogue is something that it's really hard to replicate. You could have them write as many essays as they want, but ultimately being able to interact and say, show me the list of questions you ask, and then show me what you think is the good part and the bad part of the conversation that resulted is a far more enriching exercise than having them sit down and go through the motions of a 500 word essay. And doing that at the same time that you're teaching them how to have face-to-face -face conversation with people that may be different from you, having, if we did nothing else in education, but teach those two sets of skills, imagine where we would be as, as a society. That's inspiring. So Travis, before we say goodbye today, will you give us a sneak peek of your upcoming talk at Nazareth on April 26th? Sure. Yes. Uh, so basically, Jeff and I will be sitting down and having a conversation about everything under the sun that we can cram into that piece of uh, or that that chunk of time about things like AI, especially within the field of marketing, business growth, commerce, etc. Given you know all the things that I'm seeing on a day to day basis, um, I am a, a mentor for 
some of the top accelerator programs in the world and have the ability to see a lot of the new developments that are coming out of those, many, many of which, and an increasing number of which have a very strong artificial intelligence component. Uh, so effectively, what we'll just be talking about is the future and how we can apply those in our businesses, in the community, um, at the university level for students who are considering starting a business in the future, how they can start to think about these things, how they can start to learn in advance. One thing that is, is an example of an educational perspective, there have been a lot of people that have wanted to start a business that have no idea where to start. They don't have a business degree. They don't have mentors in their family that can walk them through everything. And now they, I mean, for years they've had books and they've had Google and so forth. But again, you have to know the right questions with access to something like ChatGPT, even GPT 3.5, if not four. One thing that, that you could do is actually say, I want to start a business. What is the first step? Right. And you'll get a very long answer. And the things that you don't understand, you can reprompt and get a full plan step-by-step. Step. There are people right now that I follow on Twitter and so forth that basically prompted uh, ChatGPT and said, I want a million followers on TikTok within 30 days. <laughs> Give me a 30-day plan that I will follow and feed you information on and, love it. and so on and so forth. So some of these tasks that have seen insurmountable uh, for people over the course of the last decade to two decades now are fairly accessible because you get an expert looking over your shoulder, telling you what to do every single step, in many cases, thinking for you and even now operating for you with auto GPT and things like these. Um, it, it is very exciting. It's also for someone like me whose competitive advantage is the amount of business situations it's seen and the advice that I give uh, is a little bit threatening at times. So we'll <laughs> be talking about those things as well. That's great. That's very exciting. Well, Jeff, I appreciate very much your bringing um, Travis to the table and, and bringing him to campus. It's really going to be a pleasure. And I think this will be a, uh, a really, truly mind-blowing conversation. So very much looking forward to that. I think one of my favorite phrases, Jeff, that you used in talking about responsible AI, how do we extract the maximum good? And in many ways, I feel like that is the mission of Nazareth almost university. Well, this has just been fascinating. I have so enjoyed this conversation today. You've given me so much to think about. I have no doubt that I will be thinking about it for weeks and weeks, if not years to come. And I look forward to April 26th. Jeff, do you want to give some information on how to sign up for that? Absolutely. So we're using Eventbrite to manage RSVPs. Uh, space is limited. So if you do want to attend, I would recommend you sign up as uh, soon as possible. You can find the link to the Eventbrite event at go.nas.edu backslash Stefan. And that will take you directly to the page where you need to uh, then sign up. Admission is free, but again, space is limited. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation and I look forward to continuing to learn from you both. And I appreciate everyone for listening today. And I hope you will join us again to learn about more amazing NAS change making. Thank you for listening.